0: Uh, let's move on to, um, to our topic for today. We've been working through this uh, book called Core 52. It's like a devotional book that walks through 52 major themes in the Bible. If you want one or want to check it out, there's a TV out in the lobby uh, over there in the corner by the bathrooms, and they're um, underneath that TV, a-, a stack of them. We'd love for you to take one. Um, it's, a- it's a gift from us to you, and uh, at the end of it, you'll have a good uh, familiarity with 52 of the um, 52 themes from, from the Bible. So this morning, uh, to, get our, to get our topic kicked off, I want to talk through um, a vacation I took about, yeah, I don't know, about 10 years ago. And it points to an odd fascination that I have. We were at Disney, Disney World, and it was amazing, like everything Disney is, and we were at the um, Wilderness Lodge. And the Wilderness Lodge is, is one of uh, several Disney resorts where you take a boat to the Magic Kingdom. Now on that boat ride, uh, you pass by um, an area of woods uh, that you can see from the water that is a remnant of uh, Disney's, uh, it's like the ruins of Disney's River Country, a water park that they had there for a while that they abandoned. And on this boat ride, I would like Rubberneck, it's there on the left. Um, Further to the left is is where the, uh, that's actually inside the the, the water park, but um, I would rubberneck every time we went by for just a glimpse in there through the woods to see the, this abandoned, uh, the, the remnants of the abandoned water park. I've always been fascinated by the abandoned. And Kelly would be like, What are you looking at? And I'd say, Look back in there. You can see, uh, oh, oh that, that, that's their old water park. And she was like, Okay. Um, like most people, you know, okay, that's it's yeah, it's ruins. But I'm, uh, I remember um, Geauga Lake amusement park. Uh, you'd be out there. I'd be driving and out east for whatever reason. and I want to say it was on Aurora Road, but you could see over the fence and, and the the um, like the overgrowth. You would see the the old roller coaster rise up over top of of the. Of the, um, the the fence and the, the trees and things, or or you could see in one part of the road you could see the entrance um, to to Geauga Lake, and it had long since been abandoned and, and I just get this eerie fascination same on the towpath if you ever ride the towpath by the canal um, the, the Erie canal you 'll see this you 'll see um, remnants of old um, uh, mills, railroad tracks um, the the canal itself uh, and, and there 's just something. Um, I don't know eerie and and depressing, but in a in a compelling way, looking at at the ruins or the remains, the remnants of something that was once thriving, and has been abandoned. And it's it's also like inspiring at the same time. Like there's there's signs of life there, there's signs of health, and, and yet um, it's abandoned and it's it's just a. A mere shadow of, of its former glory, and so when we look at the world today, um, I think it's similar to that river country um, vibe or that Geauga Lake vibe, in that there's a lot of a lot of negativity, a lot of um, despair, a lot of ugliness in this world, and yet there's a remnant. Of something beautiful, and there are remnants all around of glory, and really good things in humanity and in this world. And I think when we look at our topic today, it's often called the fall or the fall of man uh, by theologians. Uh, it's from Genesis three. I think we're going to see why, and and, and so we're going to talk about um, the uh, we're going to talk about separation from God. We're going to talk about the anatomy of temptation. We'll talk about the redemption of creation, and, um, and we're going to talk about how to best live in this broken world as we await that restoration from God. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So let me begin uh, just kind of walking you through um, this, this place in Genesis. Now, now, the first chapter and a half of Genesis... Talk about God creating the world, and he creates the world in joy, with order, and there's goodness, like everything is good, everything is perfect, just the way it should be. God is present in creation, he's connecting with human beings, and here's what it says in Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So the idea here is that God gives us humans a choice. We have choice. Paradise walking with God, embracing limitations, or the mystery box. We can see what's behind door number two and set aside our limitations and go for what our eyes and our stomachs tell us we want. I mean, there's a lot to be unpacked there, and this is the idea that, that there's this fruit from a tree that's beautiful, that, that looks good, it's desirable, it's good for food, but no, we, we can't follow every desire that comes from within if we want to walk with God well then we get to Genesis 3 <clears throat> don't know how much time has elapsed between this rule being given and Genesis 3 now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made and he said to the woman did God really say you must not eat from the tree, from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may, eat from, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. And in the Garden of Eden we find a tempter. We learn that this is Satan, the evil presence in the world that leads the people of God astray. The tempter creates doubt in the mind of the human. The temptation deepens as Eve chooses to interact with the tempter. You will not certainly die, the tempter said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil, knowing good and evil. So if you read this story as more than just a historical account <clears throat> as a factual account like to where it's just this is just something that happened. And and I would strongly encourage you to read it more than just a historical account to mine it like the ancient listeners would have done for truth, for application for your life today. This is not just a bullet point account. This is meant for you and I to break apart for our own lives, and it's inexhaustible. See, a lot of people get caught up in stories like this, like these kinds of stories with the talking snake. Okay, in the Bible, they get caught up with, did that really happen? And they get caught up there and and the real benefit from this story is not a historical account. It's what the story is speaking to us about what it means to be human and what it means to be God. We shortchange things if we start with the question, did that really happen? I think if you were to ask Jesus, did that really happen, he would say it happens every day. And that's probably all the further he would take it because we, we don't do the scriptures justice Accounts like this, because this account has so much wisdom to impart to you. Jesus would would teach, like I think, about the story of the prodigal son. Uh, The man has two sons, and one of his sons takes the inheritance, and he goes, and he wastes it all and he comes back to his father hoping to just be taken as a servant and the the father runs to the son and he embraces him and it's meant to show God's love and and what we don't see is somebody coming up to Jesus afterwards Jesus did that story really happen like the benefit of these scriptures comes when we mine them for wisdom And they have so much to give. So if you're at a place where you're not really sure, where where this God thing, the Bible thing is new to you, I would encourage you, don't start with, did that really happen? Start with, what can God say to me through these scriptures? And then let them come alive to you. Let them speak to you, and they will. So as we mine this story, for wisdom, for life. Did you notice how the temptation evolves and why? Because this moves from temptation into full-blown sin, into full-blown failure. And there's a very predictable movement, and we see it in our lives today, and it's important to learn from it. So first of all, I would tell you, um, temptation is not sin. Biblically, we see that temptation is not sin because Jesus was tempted. The scriptures say Jesus was tempted in every way, just like us non God folk. But he, God in the flesh, was tempted in every way. And what that means is that he must actually have considered, like there must have actually been some teeth to it. Let me give you an example. I'm not in any way tempted by pumpkin products, they're nasty. (laughs) Pumpkin products are the emperor's new clothes of flavors. You only, if you like pumpkin, it's only because you think you're supposed to because other people think they like pumpkin. Maybe you didn't know that. You don't really like pumpkin. I'm not tempted by pumpkin. I'm tempted by mozzarella sticks. Every time I drive by Sheets, which is right by my house, so five, ten times a day, that Sheets button on my phone, the reorder button it calls out to me. Your wife didn't really say stop buying sheets every day. And I say, yeah, she did, and I still do it. But temptation is, is when we actually would consider doing something, and, 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 and temptation is external here in the story. Temptation comes from the tempter. Temptation comes from an external source spoken into us, and you can't help what you would might be inclined to like, like, ooh, that sounds like a good idea. No matter how awful it is, you can't help that part of it. Temptation itself is not sin. It comes from an external source, and we need to be aware of what's tempting because there is a tempter and he knows our things and everybody has their things and my thing's not your thing and your thing isn't always my thing. There are things you're tempted by that I'm not interested into in, in at all and there are things I'm tempted by that, that no big deal for you. But the tempter knows and the tempter brings temptation and so we have to be aware because for you it might be spending money. Maybe it's spending money for comfort. And that Amazon button on your phone is an ever present temptation. You can be minding your own business, and all of a sudden, I got to have this. I got to get my hit. And that button becomes pretty loud. Maybe it's lust, and you're working out in your gym, and the the walks by, and, and, and you're tempted to look and to marinate. Maybe it's anger. And you're tempted to scroll the comment section on Twitter and join in the chaos from the idiocracy of that person that doesn't believe the thing that you believe and believes the opposite thing, and, 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 and you just, maybe it's worry. And you're tempted to Google your symptom of the day and marinate and ruminate and worry. And that comes from out there. It's external. And the temptation, if you're high guilt, temptation is not the problem. There's nothing you can do about it. It's whether you choose to interact with the tempter. How far do you let it go? Do you cut it off or let it become full-blown failure? Because did you notice the fatal flaw that Eve makes? She interacts. She interacts with the tempter. She allows him to manipulate. Rather than walking away, she says, well, like he asks her a question. God didn't realize. And she lets him twist things. It's like the recovering alcoholic hanging out in the bar. Just a... Hang out for the friendship. There's nobody with him that knows what he or she's recovering from. Don't have the proper accountability. uh, Just just sort of wanders in and hangs out. Or it's the person with a lust or pornography problem scrolling Twitter, just kind of... Hanging out where they may accidentally see some images... hanging out with the tempter and listening to his reasoning. And then look what happens. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now wait a minute. Why is she even near a tree that she's not allowed to touch? It's a whole other garden to play in. Why is she even near a tree? Why is she so close by? Why is she listening to the tempter? A rational thinker has all kinds of questions. Maybe cocking an eyebrow at Eve's behavior, yet it's all of us, isn't it? Like as ridiculous as all this sounds, why is she close by a tree that she knows? She she has all this paradise, all these great things to enjoy. Why is she in the one place she's not allowed to be? Yet that's us. We all hang around and practically invite the tempter to guide us along. Why are we even close by the things that are harmful to us? And then off we go. Ancient Christians had this simple little slogan. I talk about this quite a bit up here. They're they're obsessed with it. It's in in a lot of the writings in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th century. Early on in Christianity, they had this slogan they lived by. Notice every thought. See, they were obsessed with thinking about how they think. They were obsessed with watching their mind do its thing. And being aware when that first seed of temptation, that first ungodly thing, that first negative whatever, when it first started, they were there to cut it off. They didn't let it marinate. They didn't let it fester. Paul says this in Second Corinthians 10, we demolish, we demolish Arguments and every pretension, every lie. Arguments and lies, thoughts, that's our thinking kind of thing. We demolish the lies that set itself up against the knowledge of God. It's a mental thing. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. See the way Paul compares the physical with like almost like war or violent we demolish we take it captive and it's not the physical it's the thinking we cut off the bad thoughts immediately and we bring them into obedience i'm not saying it's easy but it would have saved eve from falling away right from losing paradise, if she'd immediately recognized the voice of the tempter, how dumb it was that she's interacting with this tempter, how dumb it was to be standing within arm's reach of a tree that could kill her by touching. As soon as the thoughts entered her head, before they had time to marinate into a plan, before they led her to stand close, if she had just noticed the thoughts and brought them into swift alignment with God's advice, things would have been different. Like this is page, this is what I love about the scriptures. This is page three of the Bible. And we're already getting this good stuff from thousands of years ago that we can apply to every day and that would save so much heartache. Page three of the Bible. How many marriages would be saved if a husband or a wife would have just at the beginning recognized the first couple thoughts. The first couple interactions with the coworker or the neighbor that started to cross some lines and been like nope, nope, nope. Or careers where, where, where maybe some, some unethical uh, practices started to creep their way in, some nobody will know, no big deal. And no, 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 no. Take those thoughts captive because they're thoughts before their actions. And maybe they fester for months or years, or maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's less. But if we're good at realizing that there's a tempter and there are thoughts that can quickly lead us to stand within arm's length of the tree and we cut them off, when we realize the ridiculousness of us letting the tempter tempt, well, he really, is it really so bad? Uh, it's just this uh. we recognize that back and forth and cut it off let's talk for a minute about abandonment that river country Geauga Lake stuff the idea of there being well I can kind of see where it was once um, but it's it's not quite what it was it, it's, it's ugly now there's There's decay now. (coughs) The scriptures tell us that Adam quickly got in on the action as well. It wasn't just Eve. All Adam had to do was like, Eve had to be tempted and drawn away, and there was some reasoning going on. Adam just saw the fruit. He's like, oh, that was good. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid... They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. It's so ironic that I'm talking about this in my... Can you hear my stomach growling through the microphone? My stomach's going crazy right now as I'm talking about eating. It's, it's kind of you know, ironic or something, I don't know. <coughs> I guess I felt the need to make that connection for you guys. Anyway, but the Lord God called to the man. where are you, he answered. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Obviously, God doesn't need to be asking these questions. It's for Adam and Eve's benefit. But the idea here is is after they ate this fruit, things started to decline quickly. And the first consequence was shame. See, the scriptures are are, are, um, very clear in chapters 1 and 2, that the man and the woman were both naked and they felt no shame. Shame was not a part of the equation. There was innocence. Like when the, the three-year-old wanders down into the parents' dinner party buck naked, doesn't think anything of it. That was Adam and Eve. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no sin. There was no, But as soon as sin enters the equation, now there's shame. And any counselor would tell you shame is toxic and it's devastating. And shame leads to many of the evils that we see today. So when you watch the headlines and you see behaviors even from kids in the playground, so much horrible things that are at work in the world today are from shame. That's a huge part of the decay. And so when you see... The negative around us. We can see that a lot of it was consequences from sin entering God's beautiful, perfect, shameless creation. (laughs) Next, after shame, we get blame. The man said, and this, I love this, this is just, this is the best. The man said, The woman you put here with me. Some translations, uh, that woman you gave me. Put that on a bumper sticker. That woman you gave me, she gave me some fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what's this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent, he deceived me, and I ate it. See the blame? So there's shame, and there's blame. This is an ancient source. It's archaic stuff, right? It's totally irrelevant to life thousands of years ago God's like there's sin and there's shame and there's blame and it ruins the whole thing shame and blame are a huge part now uh, let's talk about this Um, I'm going to move a little quicker now um, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock. You will crawl on the belly, on your belly, eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So what we get here, there's uh, creation and perfection have been um, uh, not destroyed but set back. And the promise here is that the enemy's head will be crushed. So we get this foreshadowing here at the beginning of the story, the Bible as a whole. Now there's an enemy identified and there's a promise that his head will be crushed. And then it says, uh, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. I'm getting back to that in a minute. Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and and ate the fruit of the tree, which I commanded you, you mustn't eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. There's going to be some really bad things now coming out of the earth and you will eat the plants of the field, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat food, eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken for dust you are, and dust you, and to dust you will return. So death has now entered the world. So we have shame, we have guilt. We have thorns and thistles, like the bad things from the earth that make it hard for us, and, and we have death now. But I want to go back to your desire, will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. <coughs> Male dominance, right? So listen, um, this is totally just my take. Okay, this is this is just my opinion. Um, moments like this in scripture are used, I think, for some pretty rough things, um, and and this is this is one of them. So so there's uh, theologians will talk about uh, descriptive and prescriptive. Prescriptive says God wants it a certain way. Descriptive God describes. What's going to happen as a natural result? Not all scripture, just because it says something, is prescriptive. Sometimes it's descriptive. In other words, if I give a, a four year old a pocket knife, um, I can describe what's going to happen. Doesn't mean I'm prescribing it, doesn't mean I want it to happen. So, so um, I think that what we see here is God is describing what's going to happen now that there's guilt and shame and hardship and humanity and sin. Because here, here's the thing I'm pretty much egalitarian. Men and women equal. I like to, like, I'm a tongue-in-cheek humor guy. You, you guys have been around me. You know that I, that I like to, you know, I'll tell gender jokes all day long. But it's not because I really believe it. So I, I get carried away sometimes with my tongue-in-cheek stuff, okay, that, for a laugh. But the truth is um, uh, I, I am all for equality, and it really bothers me. That, that um, women still have a very difficult time, equal pay, all that kind of stuff. And I, but I think when I see it, it's, it's Genesis 3. And it's not because God says, I want it this way. I think God is describing, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen in a fallen world with guilt and shame. Is the physically stronger are going to dominate the physically weaker. And so when he says your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you, I think what he's saying is you're going to have to cling to a husband now for physical protection. In the ancient world especially, when stronger and more powerful ruled and dominated, this put women outflanked because of physical strength, and it's still... You know, it's starting, we're making some strides, but, but I think that that's what you're seeing is God is describing the natural consequences. So I don't like to see Scripture used to oppress women like it sometimes happens. And I don't think it's always malicious. I think sometimes it's just people's opinions of how to apply it. All right, let's move on now. Three takeaways. Three takeaways. Number one, Scripture tells us that Jesus is the foot that crushes the head of Satan. Because all of the curses and the the destruction that came from the fall are undone by Jesus and will be completely undone when he returns to redeem all things. Let's take a look at Colossians 1 again, like we did last week. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated, separated, just like the garden, just like when they were separated, because they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. God no longer walked with them in the cool of the day like he had done. Once you were alienated, separated uh, from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your sin, because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move out from the hope held out in the gospel. The idea is that through the death of Jesus on the cross, your sins have been forgiven through faith. And now instead of guilt and shame, God sees you as, as without blemish, holy in his sight and free from accusation. So all those curses were undone through Jesus. He crushed the head of the enemy. And when one day... Restore garden paradise for us all to enjoy. We talked about that last week. Secondly, because of all this we've talked about, recognize your tree. What's your tree? What's your thing? What's the thing that is your temptation or things? And how can Satan get you from minding your own business to within arm's reach of that tree? What's he going to have to go through to manipulate you to get you there, because he will, and how can you cut him off before it happens? Be aware of your thoughts and of the process that Satan uses to get you to where you can grab hold of that fruit, whatever it is, and cut it off early. It's a problem for all of us. And finally, and you guys can come on up for one last song. There have been... There's a lot of heartache in the world. There's a lot of evidence of Genesis 3 in the world. Would you agree? Like, like we can see the guilt, the shame, the thorns, the thistles, the hardships, the decay all around us. And it can be easy to get caught up in despair. But really this whole thing is one big story of grace. It's all grace. Because rather than kill them on the spot... God allowed them to live their life and experience some really good things still. And rather than abandon us, God sent his son to pay the price for our sin to reconcile us. And rather than all junk and garbage out there, there's still a lot of good things that we can contribute to and we can focus on. So spend your time and energy seeing the good and the redemptive story and what's going on out there in the world around you. Don't just get hung up on the decay. So I hope you found some benefit from some of that. And during this last song, uh, let the grace of God and the grace in this story sink in because we still have a God who loves us, who wants what's best for us, and who came to save us, not a God who just punished us, ruined us, and left, and we can celebrate that this morning.